What is going on? How you doing, man? How's your Monday? Oh, you know, it's weird. The Northeast got cold again out of the blue, man. It was uh, it was really feeling like spring had finally won the battle with winter. And then it like snowed a little last night. It's like 25 out today. It's uh, it's a little bit of an unwelcome change. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's fortunately completely the opposite down south here in Atlanta. I, I mean, I used to play. I I, play, I grew up playing baseball in the Northeast, and I used to play games. Now that I remember, like we'd play in the snow in April. Um, yeah, there wasn't snow on the ground, but we would definitely play in snow flurries, like miserable games in April. So I guess it's not that surprising. You still get those annoyingly cold days this time of year. You do. It, that happens down here, too. You get, like, random days where it'll rain, be super I, cold, etc. But but oh, by and large, dude, I mean... Give me a break, man. Atlanta, uh, <laughs> but by and large, it's a place where there was, like, good. a tiny bit of ice, and everyone freaked out <laughs> for, like, six... You know, there was, like, a six-day shutdown of everything because of a little bit of ice in Atlanta. I, I remember that, so... Uh, two, uh, know, man. two inches of ice, and this entire city shuts down, so... Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Well, um... Maybe we can just give people another minute or so to trickle in, but topic of, of discussion, which I'm excited to have you for and want to definitely bring people up for questions for this one, because I think it's a more interactive topic, is sort of this idea of principles of career success. Um, it's something yeah. I've seen you write about in the past. I have obviously written about on several occasions. Um, I thought you'd be an interesting person to have up as a co-host for the discussion because you've had a variety of different experiences from, you know, as corporate as they come with McKinsey to running your own startup to investing. And, you know, you see a lot of things when you spend time in those different arenas and you see what works and what doesn't. And frankly, you screw things up and that's probably the best way to learn them. And so wanted to just have a, a free flowing discussion of some of the core principles that, that we've seen and, you know, screw ups we've had along the way and, and hopefully, you know, bring some folks up that join for, for different questions and discussion around it as well. Um, we'll be definitely informal and, and free flowing, but um, that was my general vision for it. That sounds great. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of different lessons to unpack and you have the, um, you have the unfortunate experience and fortunate experience in some sense when you actually go through them, but that's, that's the best way to learn. Yeah. Um, so maybe we just kick off. I mean, I, um, I think it's interesting because, um, I, I posted that I posted something about it this weekend. I've Mm -hmm. read some of your writing about it in the past. And one of the things that I think is unique about the kind of age and, and world we're living in right now is that you can get access to this kind of information, you know, for free as it were, when I was even starting out, which isn't that long ago by any means, I just remember like you really needed, you know, a mentor or someone around you in order to learn these kind of principles. There wasn't this like freely accessible information that now exists on Twitter and or in newsletters or, you know, in a discussion chat like this. So it sort of leads me into my first um, kind of like broad point, which was this idea that I talked about of like the personal board of advisors. Um, And I'm curious for your perspective on this one, because my general... um, my general view on it is that mentorship has become too formal. I think asking someone to be your mentor, it like feels like I'm asking someone to be my girlfriend, you know, in middle school, it's like very formal and you're adding this layer of um, almost just like structure to something that doesn't necessarily have to be structured. And I think it 
raises um it puts up a wall in front of a lot of people where they might not necessarily be inclined to do it because it feels formal or time consuming or like a big burden um, and so my view is that there's this new concept which is you know the personal board of advisors as i call it call it board of directors whatever you want to call it which is really a um a group and it's more informal as a feature of it um, and it is a group of people that you can turn to that will be uh, willing to give you candid feedback, unfiltered, spar with you on different ideas um, and sort of serve as like micro mentors uh, yeah. on your on your journey. So I'm curious for your perspective or experience with this and, and what you think of the general idea. Yeah, I think the general idea resonates a lot. Um, and there's a couple of ways to unpack it. So first is kind of your statement on kind of the concept of mentorship becoming too formal. I think that's the biggest mistake actually people make early in their career, right? It's one is they go and they try to find one mentor um, and they get caught up in this idea that there's kind of one person out there that's going to give them all the right answers, right? I think that's a big mistake. I think the second is, is people view it as a one-way relationship. So in my experience, actually the best way to end up with, you know, people that can provide a lot of value back to you, and can provide, you know, and value can be defined in different sorts of ways, right? Access, you know, advice, so on and so forth. Uh, it's actually a find, is actually to find a way to add value back to them. It, it's really counterintuitive when you're earlier in your career. Um, and, and, and the reason it's counterintuitive. How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So the reason it's counterintuitive, and I'll, I'll get into the how do you do that. But the reason it's counterintuitive is because typically when you're junior in your career, you know, your sentiment and your feeling is I don't know anything, Right. And everybody that's ahead of me knows something and everybody else is an expert in something. I don't know anything. But what I found actually is that you, it, it might not be that you know something particularly, but everybody that is ahead of you is definitely stretched for one resource, which is time. And so the biggest thing that you can actually do is you can figure out, okay, how do I take something off somebody's plate? Or, you know, how do I do something that those folks maybe aren't in as great of a position in? So the further you go in your career, you know, pride starts seeping in. You start filtering what opportunities you get involved with, what do you not get involved with, et cetera. When you're earlier in your career, you can say yes to everything, right? In fact, you should be saying yes to most things. And then you can filter kind of down the line. And so I think there's a big piece of, you know, very tactically figuring out, you know, is it something that I can take off somebody's plate? Is it an introduction that I can make? Is it, you know, can I can I serve as a forum to curate information? And and if anything, all I'm giving other folks is kind of a vanity outlet, like people love to come on podcasts or people love to be interviewed, et cetera. Right. And so am I giving them how can I exchange some sort of unit of value? And in that unit of value, what I'm doing is I'm actually building a genuine relationship because I'm not going to that person and saying, hey, can you be my mentor? I'm finding some way to actually add value. So I think if you actually keep that at the core and then you extrapolate it into this concept of having a board of advisors, a board of directors, whatever it might be. It's actually really, really powerful because the concept of having, you know, five, 10 people that are interesting, and I'll define interesting as either they have some access, they have some expertise, whatever it might be in your corner genuinely um, when you're starting out. And even quite candidly at our levels or, or beyond, um, it's really, really hard to understate the power of that. So, no, I, I agree with the concept, you know, unilaterally. Yeah, it's I have a few a few adds to what you said, you know, like just tactically, when you think about adding value and areas where you can create value, I've seen an example recently that I think is interesting and kind of telling of our times where if you're working in a big organization, um, there are going to be a lot of people, just as an example, who are older and further along in their career. And I have generally found that, 
understanding of new technologies is like inversely correlated with age right now. And there are tons of organizations who are scrambling to understand cryptocurrencies, Web3 technology. If you're young and you're constantly around those things, you can actually add incremental value to those senior people by being the person that can decipher those things within your organization. And I've seen now I have three friends, at least, who are actively doing this, like a friend at at McKinsey, actually, who has Mm -hmm. effectively taken on the role of like quarterbacking a bunch of their Web3 practice, which is Mm -hmm. insane to think for a junior people person at McKinsey. But it's because he has genuinely differentiated knowledge relative to the other people there. And so I think that while information and wisdom and experience used to be linear in terms of how you accumulated it and accelerated over the course of your career in these tracks, that has now changed where you can actually have an asymmetric information advantage and knowledge advantage early in your career, um, given the way that technology has kind of um, layered on over the last 15, 20, 30 years in society. So there's something interesting there. I haven't fully thought that through. It just came to me as you were as you were speaking there. But Um, There is something interesting. The one other point I would make is value is sort of an amorphous term. And one thing that I've found is a lot of the people that you're going to seek out to be on this personal board of advisors or to be mentors in your life, they're going to be um, impressive people, you know, in one way or another. And that can, they might be impressive on a global stage. It might be impressive on a local stage for one reason or another, they're going to be someone you look up to and that you would value their advice. Those people tend to get a lot of things sent to them. Um, you know, like a person in a high position has people sending them nice bottles of wine all the time or bottles of champagne or nice gifts or whatever it is. And, there, you tend to assume as a result of that, that there is no way to kind of stand out in terms of how you show your thanks to those people. One thing that I have found is that no matter how many nice things those people have gotten, no one is immune to receiving a nice handwritten thank you note yep. um, for their time. And it is probably worth 10 times as much to them to, to receive that than it would be if you sent them a $200 bottle of wine. Uh, There is just something so powerful about the idea that someone sat down and took the time to do that. And so just as like a minor actual tactical hack, sending someone a book that you talked to them about or a book that you loved recently, uh, plus a handwritten note of why you think they'll like it is an absolute fail safe way to capture their attention and show their show your thanks in a very genuine way for for their time and, and energy. Yeah, I think that's totally right. I mean, I think it basically goes to like the underpinning of what you're saying, Sahil, is going to building a genuine relationship, right? I think actually what ends up inversely correlating is as folks are kind of further along or in higher positions or whatever it might be, the things that actually you think are, hey, it's a big stretch, right? Like, you know, if we're buying a couple hundred dollar bottle of champagne or whatever it is, like that's a real expense, right? And those are things that you in your position might think that, hey, you know, this is a real expenditure. It takes a lot of effort or so. Unfortunately, right, for those folks that are further ahead, maybe that are in a you know, different economic situation, those are kind of table stakes, right? And so actually the question is, how do you change the game? And I think if you if you keep that kind of paradigm on your mind of how do you change the game and you always veer towards doing the more genuine, thoughtful thing, that's actually how you develop better relationships. So handwritten notes, you know, a yep. book, that's a great example, right? I think that's the same thing. And when you're, you know, when you actually have outreach or you're interacting with folks, 
is learn something about people. Like there's so many, I'm sure you get a bunch of Twitter DMs like this too. I get so many Twitter DMs of folks that it's kind of like me, 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 right? And I think what happens is, <clears throat> that's not to say that's fine. Like I'm, I'm glad like folks should hustle, they should go for it, et cetera, but put yourself in the other person's shoes. It, what the other person's trying to do is they're trying to quickly filter. They're trying to find different proxies of why should they engage? Why should they take the time? Why should they respond? People will always take the time and respond. Like I have a much higher likelihood of responding to folks, you know, when they know something about me, maybe they've listened to a podcast that I've done with someone. Maybe they've read an article I've done, a tweet thread, whatever it might be, right? And they've kind of ensconced that into their ask and, and into what they're trying to do. Hey, I've applied this principle I've, I've heard you talking about, and this is actually how I put it into my business. And here was the result, right? I think most people... And again, this goes back to kind of that concept I was talking about earlier, is most people view these relationships as one-way streets because of that core feeling of what is it that I actually have to add to this equation. And I think that's a mental hurdle you have to get over because people have a much higher likelihood or desire to want to interact actually when it feels like it's more of a peer relationship, even though it obviously isn't a peer relationship, right? So Yeah, it's like being genuine versus transactional, which is yep. like broadly a principle for life. And oddly yeah. enough, it leads to you getting more transaction value long-term too, yep. um, when you're genuine versus transactional. One, one of the questions that came through, I'd love to take questions. People can feel free, by the way, to do the like call in to speak and we can bring people up, but also in the chat, I saw a couple that I thought were interesting to, to chat through. So Yasin asked um, about working at a startup versus a big company. Um, mm. Do you want to kick this one off and then I can chime in? I've seen some recent writing on it that I think is interesting, but you know, you obviously worked at a big company with McKinsey and we've both interacted with a lot of startups and yeah. um, would be curious for your perspectives and what advice you'd give to, to people that are making this decision. Yeah, I think, oh man, there's there's so many ways to actually break this decision down. I mean, I think the first the first thing is it's it's not dissimilar to personal finance, right? So this is actually an analogy I like to use a lot when folks ask me this question, which is, you know, imagine you're watching CNBC or you're seeing somebody, you know, you respect on Twitter talking about a company um, and they talk about a company positively or negatively or they talk about the market positively or negatively right? The impulse should never be, okay, let me go buy that stock or let me sell that stock, right? And the reason for that is because you actually don't know all of the dynamics, you know, that are underneath, right? You don't know if their perspective is, is it a long-term perspective? Is it a short-term perspective? Is a long-term perspective one year? Is it three years? Is it 10 years? There's just pieces of the equation that are missing. And so I think the first question you really actually have to ask yourself is, what are you solving for? like at that point in your life, right? Are you solving for, you know, needing a certain salary level? Are you solving for picking up certain types of skills? Are you solving for being in a particular industry? It, it really is a function of what are you solving for? Uh, because environments are different, right? And, and the what are you solving for part can have extrinsic elements like that, but then it can have intrinsic elements as well, right? Which is, you know, if you like working in really structured environments where there's a lot of predictability and not really business risk, bigger companies are great for that, right? Like the likelihood that Home Depot is going out of business is like not going to happen, right? Um, you know, the startup that you work at totally could go out of business, right? Um, if you want more autonomy, more flexibility, et cetera, startup environments are great, right? There is, there is looser structures. There is more possibility for ownership, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of directions. I think we can we can probably take this question. It's probably a whole conversation yeah. in itself. But I think the first piece I always ask, at least, 
is like get a really good sense of what you're solving for. And, and you can organize that into a couple buckets. It can be economics, it can be role, right? It can be, um, you know, um, the types of skills you're trying to build, et cetera. But I think you have to have a really good framework actually of what are you personally trying to solve for first? Because actually the answer is not as obvious, meaning there are a lot of things that I learned at McKinsey actually that when I went and I was doing my own business or even investing in other companies was extremely helpful, right? Um, but that's, you know, that was also very personal in kind of the way my brain thinks or maybe some of the skills, et cetera, I needed to develop. For other folks, I know that, you know, they've never gone that route and it's been perfectly fine as well, right? So I, th- I think at the, at the 80,000 foot view, I'd really focus on kind of what are you solving for? And then we can, you know, we can, we can dig into the specifics if that's more helpful. Yeah, yeah, I think you hit on a bunch of my general thoughts as well. I think it's like, what is your long game that you're playing? Because if you want to go create your own startup or build a startup or work in the startup ecosystem, then I think that means you can be necessarily sort of tactical about how you think about your big company um, time if you are planning to have one. I I do think if you are planning to end up in the startup world and that is where you want to head, there is potential value from spending a year or two years within a big company. You can learn a lot from all the experts. There's, you know, pain points you can identify, which might actually... Uh, lead to startup ideas or building ideas. Um, you know, you can build a network, the resume building that comes from being at one of these big legacy companies. So there are a bunch of things, but you'd want to be very tactical about acquiring those, you know, traits or skills during that window if your plan was to ultimately, you know, switch and be in the startup world. Um, so I think it's about kind of identifying to your point, what is your what is your end game? Where, where are you actually trying to head? and how are you going to, you know, do what is necessary in the short term, you know, whether you are spending time at a big company or not to get towards that end goal? Yeah, I generally my general perspective is like, you never really know what you want to do until you're in that environment. Like I faced mm-hmm. this a lot at McKinsey, which was a lot of folks would say, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to have skin in the game, et cetera. And, and one question I always kind of ask folks is, are you running to something or are you running away from something? Right. And, and I think that's a really actually important framework to use because it's really easy to think that grass is greener on the other side. Um, and it's typically not greener. It's typically just different, right? And it, and it kind of works for different types of personalities. So I would say that if your inclination is, you know, hey, I want to be at a startup or so, you know, again, kind of absent the, the, the advice or the caveats of kind of your personal situation, I would say go try it out, right? And then there's a whole layer, I think, of tactics on how do you pick the right company. Right. And, how yeah, and startups, by the, way, the right thing. Yeah. Startups, by the way, are the, like saying startup is, you know, there's a thousand varieties of startups, exactly. right? It could, Basically is it a like a company you, with three yeah, people or is it, totally. you know, a series B that has, you know, a hundred people and it's growing really fast. And um, I think even within that, there's a bunch of nuance to it there. I saw a thread totally. recently that um, a CEO of one of my portfolio companies did. Um, basically how he had planned following college to start at a big company, go to, um, you know, sort of a medium sized company, then go to a tiny company and then start his own company. And he was really um, circumspect about what he was trying to acquire at each stage in terms of knowledge, learning experience. And because of that, he was able to kind of tactically go in and do that and felt like he had kind of you know, not necessarily check the box, but he had kind of acquired um, the skill set or the mastery of what he had wanted to. And he had been laser focused about it during that experience. And so I thought 
that was kind of just an interesting way of thinking about it, of sort of progressing from big to small in that way. And it's obviously a bit of a luxury to be able to go and do that. Not everyone, you know, sometimes your path will be winding. My certain mind certainly was. Um, but being thoughtful about that from the outset and kind of thinking through, you know, not just A and B, but also A.2, A.3, A.4, et cetera, uh, can be a really thoughtful way to do it. I think so, too. I mean, I think the most important thing early on in your career, and I think this was another tweet Sahil, you had written in your thread, so maybe we can talk about this one a little bit. But I think the most important thing uh, early in your career is actually optimizing for learning and skills accumulation, like as fast as possible. Um, and meeting interesting people, right? Um, I see a lot of people that optimize for like, what is the job title? Or am I going to make 5,000 more dollars in this option versus the other option, right? And, and I think what ends up happening, what you end up seeing kind of in your 30s, and as you go beyond like your 20s, is there's this non-linearity of outcomes that comes when you've acquired the right skills and you've been around the right people, right? And so those differences that are early on that seem very, very large, um, you know, $10,000 might be a 10, 15% difference in income or so, or $20,000 or whatever it might be, in retrospect, actually become incredibly microscopic, right? Uh, because of this kind of concept of nonlinearity of outcome. And so I, I think it's really, really important, actually, that whatever you do, and it's been very rare in my experience, Sal, you can chime in if it's been different in yours. It's very rare in my experience, at least I've seen, you know, kind of a lot of successful friends that have you know, done a whole different variety of path of things. I've seen very few folks that have kind of had this like matrix like plan of I'm going to start at the big company and I'm going to learn X, Y, and Z and meet A, B, and C. And then I'm going to go to the small company and I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to start my own company. In my experience, it doesn't work out as elegantly like that. In fact, I think if you talk to most successful people, there's a nice, you can form a nice linear arc of their experience, but the reality is is anything but <laughs> it's it's kind of all over the place and so i think if you if you kind of take that as a premise that it is kind of difficult to say you know hey if i want to start up i'm going to go to this particular big company for two years and learn a b and c like i, I think that's pretty difficult but i think what is not difficult and what you can be very intentional around is i'm going to you know maximize skills accumulation and um and and network right and being around the right people and the cool thing about kind of this day and age is like your network and, and the activity you do it doesn't need to be geographically constrained candidly it doesn't even have to be company or kind of industry constrained right you can participate in things like this online in kind of the online town square and meet all sorts of interesting people and collaborate in all sorts of interesting ways so i have so many thoughts here uh, and you're, you're going to send me off on a rabbit hole so first off <laughs> My, my my first rabbit hole here, which um, I feel like I've written about in the past, but I'm forgetting, is uh, if you uh, told me I was 22 years old, done just done with college, and you told me like your sole goal over the next 10 years is to make uh, $10 million by the time you're 30, how would you do it? Um, my path would be go talk to uh, 10 venture capitalists, basically go like slide into the DMs on Twitter or on LinkedIn or something. doesn't even matter if they're junior and basically go find out from them. What are your like five portfolio companies that are the biggest rocket ships, like your highest certainty rocket ship companies. And then I would go apply to those companies for whatever role where I could uh, kind of max out equity and basically turn down salary at those companies and sell, sell out for, 
those rocket ships. And I think it's a way to like finesse the system, by the way, because um, VCs sort of know like what are their rocket ships and what are the ones that aren't doing so hot. You, you and I both know this. You, you sort yep. of just, you know, early on. And so they have differentiated knowledge about the ones that are likely to experience significant nonlinear equity value expansion. And if you can get into one of those and even get a small amount of equity, um, it's going to be worth a lot uh, at, at a future Portal. date if it happens. So um, the, the reason I got caught off on that was like on this whole idea of non nonlinearity of outcomes and sort of like taking interesting, um, you know, like off the beaten path steps in order to expose yourself to nonlinear outcomes. And I thought the way you put it was really interesting because um, everything about my life and path had been very linear um, prior to about a year ago. Like yeah. I had taken a job in finance. I was, you know, on the track where you sort of like make more each year than the last and it's great. And you're told it's great. And this is what you should want to do forever. Um, and it was very, um, it was very neatly trodden. Like you knew exactly where you were going to be in five years and 10 years and 15 years. And I think for a lot of people that is very comforting and great. Um, but there is also a linearity that comes with that where, um, because of it, you know, pretty much within a band exactly, you know, where you're going to end up at age X. Um, and the people that I've found have experienced these amazing outcomes are the people who sort of did a few different things. They exposed themselves to a bunch of different ideas early. They ended up starting something with so-and-so that failed. And so then that led to them meeting someone that they jumped to the next thing. And by exposing yourself to those like weird uh, sort of off the beaten path uh, circumstances, you end up exposing yourself to those weird nonlinear outcomes. The challenge is um, how do you figure out which ones are the productive ones um, and yep. which ones are the ones that you're just jumping around and not doing anything um, and not making any progress or leading to positive outcomes. And so I ground myself personally uh, in this first point of like experience and um, relationships that are likely to lead to positive long-term outcomes. And that's why I keep grounding myself in like never trading a few thousand dollars here and there early on um, for an experience set or for a foundation building, because the common thread among all of the people I know that have had those nonlinear outcomes um, is that they prioritize that in the early days. They just prioritize being around great people, being in rooms where they, um, you know, where they were around smart people and, uh, and on building a foundation from a, from a skill set standpoint that was likely to compound at an accelerating rate. That's really all that matters at the end of the day. I mean, think about how many situations, Sahil, I know you know a bunch of people, I know a bunch of people that have faced this, which is, you, let's say you take some of these tactics that we're talking about and you are at the right company, Right. And, and right company, I'll put in quotes, which is, you know, there's there's good VCs there. There's good funding. There's good progress, et cetera. And even if the company doesn't work out completely. Right. I mean, the the social credibility, the reality of what happens in at least in technology is the social credibility of what you get from being affiliated with the quote unquote right companies is significant in and of itself. Right. And it's kind of this moniker that we call in tech, which is basically failing up. Right. And failing up can be taken in a very negative way, which is, hey, you're effectively just hacking the system. You haven't created anything of value, et cetera. I think what's actually going on in most cases underneath is the reason why you're quote unquote failing up is because startups are hard. That particular company might not have worked out, but there's all this other accumulation of stuff and value that you've actually learned. 
and you can harness it, if you put it into the right vessel, you can actually create pretty outsized value creation, right? And, and people, you know, look for those types of people, right? And so there is a lot of affinity then towards saying, okay, if I'm recruiting for my next, you know, company, or maybe, you know, you find other people in that environment, like-minded people that want to start something, you can start something with them. I think the point you made around making sure that you are identifying the, the projects that are worthwhile is critical though. Because what happens in startups and tech is you can have extreme, extreme volatility, meaning you can have an amazing project on the upside and it can be worth, you know, all the time in the world, even if you don't spend all the time on the world on it, or you can toil away for years and years. And like, unfortunately that can turn into decades. Right. And so I think you have to have a good framework and a good proxy early on when you have asymmetric information, when you don't have as much insight. You know, maybe you're not as good at picking opportunities. You have to have some proxies that you can rely upon. And that I liked your earlier tactic where you said, you know, if you're in college or your early career or so, you know, reach out to some VCs, right? They, they want to add value. They want to find, you know, good hires, et cetera, for their portfolio companies, right? And so find a way to kind of meander and think through, you know, what actually is potentially worthwhile for you, Right what are good opportunities and good projects? Because I think as long as you're in the ecosystem, once you're in the ecosystem and kind of in the figurative room, um, things just become a lot easier. Like you don't actually succeed in the room, but once you have a foot in the room and a foot in the door, you know, a lot of the way that this world works is people want to help people that they like, right? And they're friends with. And so if you're in the room and you're a good person, you work hard, et cetera, I'm at least a firm believer in technology is, if you're in the right rooms and you're a good person and you're working hard, I don't know when it'll work out, uh, but the question of if it'll work out is kind of off, off the table. Like it'll work out. I don't know what scale and I don't know what timeline, but it'll, it'll work out in some capacity. I've seen that a ton, you know, with friends over the years. I personally experienced that a ton over the years. 100%. <laughs> you just, the, the challenge is just getting into that right. room. The benefit is that in the digital world, those rooms are actually in the cloud in a lot of cases. And yep. so it's no longer like a physical requirement that you be existing in New York city or in the Bay area or wherever it was. Um, those rooms are now digital um, yep. in a lot of cases. So um, I love the way you said that. I did want to leave a few minutes in case people had questions that we could bring up, you know, maybe two or three people and, and jam for a few more minutes before we lose anyone. So if anyone has um questions i know if you were asked in the chat feel free to do the call in function and we can we can bring folks up and and if not we can we can keep riffing as well looks like we have one so if you just unmute energize you'll be able to uh you would ask Welcome. hey well thank you thank you so much for the time and taking the question guys um i exclusively work at large companies uh, so i understand how to navigate that space at the same time, um, uh, right now I'm thinking about starting to write and uh, take some of the principles that I hear in the startup ecosystem, especially on Twitter and a lot of the newsletters, blogs, and bring some of those principles into a large company. So that's kind of what I want to focus my writing on. Uh, so in the context of that, um, would you advise that I set up this personal board of advisors um, You know, with some potentially some writers, uh, you know, in a, in a new area of passion that I have here. How, what advice would you have as I'm thinking about this? Because I was initially thinking in the line of mentors, but I really like this thread. So I would love, yeah. love your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's a great question. First off, I think the idea of writing more um, is a brilliant one because, I mean, I always think of writing 
uh, in the digital world as like casting out this web of magnets out into the world and you're going to end up, you know, reaching more and more people and you can attract new people to your ideas, et cetera. So I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant idea for like expanding your luck surface area as well as you continue to do that in terms of the board. Um, I have always found value in a lot of interdisciplinary participation and experience sets um, on my personal board, like having someone from just a wildly different background that is going to view things in a completely different way and with a different set of perspectives and is going to be willing to spar with you and push back and give you candid feedback is only beneficial to you. And you want someone that will do it in good faith. You don't want, you know, an asshole coming in telling you that, you know, you're an idiot on things, but somebody who has experienced the thing that you want to go create or build. And in that, in that, in this case, you know, perhaps that's writing um, and also comes from a different experience set. So someone that, you know, isn't necessarily at a big company, maybe it's someone that has just built a large presence writing on the internet um, or built in small newsletter and has written about business related concepts, but someone that can, poke holes in the way that you're thinking about it um, and kind of add incremental value in that way would be very valuable, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think it's also, it, 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 you know, a personal board of advisors doesn't have to be kind of like one unilateral board. You can have different types of boards, right? So you can have kind of a, a learning, knowledge, advice, education type board, right? Where you go get kind of what I call like spiky skill sets, right? So if you're trying to do something like you know, writing about your experiences at a big company or, or writing about principles in the startup ecosystem and bringing them to a big company, you can surround yourself with, you know, folks that are good writers. You could surround yourself with the folks that are good kind of designers, communicators, visualize, uh, visualizer type folks, right? Because the medium of how you communicate is just as important. And then you can surround yourself with folks that have had different types of experiences kind of straddling those two ecosystems that you may not have had. That could be a specific type of board for the specific type of project you're trying to do in your life at that point in time. You can in parallel have another board of advisors, right? Which is really just around kind of like your focus on where you're trying to go. I've, I've kind of in my experience, I've straddled the line and kind of had multiple of these types of groups or masterminds or boards kind of over the years at any one given time. Because I think what also what you should not do, which can end up being highly dilutive and like not working out well, is trying to kind of have one construct that answers every and any question that you're trying to solve for. Uh, because different folks have different kind of levels of expertise, different levels of willingness to help you, uh, and are going to have different ways, you know, to be able to do that also. So you can kind of consider, you know, different types of structures. You can have kind of these like personal boards on more of a, you know, short-term basis, right, for a specific type of thing you're trying to do. You can have more evergreen boards, right, for, for your entire kind of duration of your professional life, personal life, et cetera. So you can kind of mix and match, you know, um, depending on one. Uh... Great question. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. All right, David, let's see. Let's see if I can figure out how to take you here. David, are you able to unmute or if I can? See if I can do this. There we go. <clears throat> David, if you just unmute, you should be up now. Maybe not. Hey, sorry about that. Oh, there uh, we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually on the road. Sorry for the background noise. But uh, in your thread, you said uh, learn to sell. I know Naval says, you know, learn to build. 
learning to sell. So what does uh, learning to sell mean to you? What, what are we talking about when you say? Great question. I, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, I, I personally, the reason I lean towards selling is because I think most people aren't really equipped to build. And that includes myself. It's not a knock on anyone else. I'm more knocking myself. Um, I just think there's fewer people who are going to be technically proficient enough to build long term. Um, and at the end of the day, if you can sell, you will never go hungry. Um, to to Romine's point earlier, I can't tell you how it's going to work out or the extent to which it's going to work out. But if you can sell, I can guarantee you it's going to work out. Like you're going to make it in one way or another. Um, and I think when I, when I say selling, I don't mean you know going into tech sales or being a software salesperson or a medical device salesperson. I literally mean being able to tell a story and convince someone of something. Um, and that story might be fundraising for your startup. That story might be convincing someone to hire you. It might be recruiting people and convincing an employee to come join you. But that skill set of being able to tell a story and convince someone of it so that they bought into it, uh, that's what I think of when I think of selling. And I think it is one of the most important fundamental skills. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think if you think of everything, um, every opening, you know, is is a sale, every close is a negotiation, right? Like in any communication that you have, right? If you're trying to hire somebody in your business, if you're trying to work with a partner, if you're trying to work with a customer, if you're trying to individually, you know, convince somebody that they should collaborate with you, etc. Every opening is a sale, right? And then how you actually tactically implement that or land that or structure that or so is a negotiation. And it, it doesn't have to, I, I think the point of that also, just, just to be clear, is every conversation is not, I'm not saying it's transactionally a sale and transactionally a negotiation, but the, the underlying principles of if you think about what sales is or what a sale is, and if you think about what a negotiation is, it's those principles apply to every single interaction. You're finding a way in a sale, you're really finding a way to kind of imprint your viewpoint, your perspective, et cetera, on the world. You're basically telling people that your most precious commodity or your most precious um, you know, resource, rather, not commodity, is your time. And so why should you be allocating any of your time towards me, right? And then the negotiation part is, okay, maybe somebody is going to allocate their time towards you. You know, now you want to make sure that that is advantageous for both sides, right? I mean, if, if anybody kind of listening has experience negotiating with folks, et cetera, um, partnerships never work out when one side really wins, you know, deeply and the other side loses. Those are always the ones that break. There always has to be a little bit of give and take. So I think the underlying principle of figuring out how to sell yourself, sell your story, sell your vision, uh, and then pairing it with that concept of being able to negotiate, meaning closing it out and actually having it tactically go through is is probably the most important skill you can develop in your program. Love that. Let's take one more question. And then I know we all have to go for dinners or various children responsibilities. So uh, Farhan, I think we've, uh, we've got you up with you on mute and we can take the final question of the day. Yeah. Hey, Sahil and here with me. Firstly, thank you for introducing me. And I would, I've been reading more and more uh, recently, and Sahil and Blake got me into writing uh, and sharing my like learning experiences recently. So thank you for the inspiration. So absolutely. So uh, the concept of board of advisors is like really intriguing. But I also wrote in one of my posts that uh, recently a lot of 
uh, you know, like the new entrepreneurs, they really uh, come off as egoistic. And so asking them for advice might add fuel to the fire. So, uh, but like, uh, that's just my opinion on that. But I like your take on that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fair point. And I actually think informality is your um, is your friend, uh, not your enemy with these type of things. And so like, I've, I don't specifically reach out to these people and say, like, please give me your advice on X. Um, I think of these people as sort of like, extended friends um, and relationships where you can just like, I, you, Romine might be on my personal board of advisors, and I can say to him, Hey, I'm looking at, you know, this opportunity and here's how I'm thinking about it. Here's the structure of it. And he might just give me an entirely different viewpoint on how to think about it because his experience set is very different than mine. Or he might have seen someone at McKinsey that encountered something similar or at a startup that encountered something similar. And so he gives me a different perspective on it. I didn't say, you know, Romine, I'd like to do a call with you to get your advice and, you know, pump him up as as a uh, as an important person. But I was able to get a, you know, kind of unfiltered and raw perspective from a different view um, on the issue that was at hand for me. So I think that there's a fine line. I, I agree with you. I think you can encounter people that have big egos, you know, in this world. I also think those probably aren't the people that you're going to want to have on your personal board of advisors. And so I generally think that if someone has a big ego, they're not going to be as willing or as valuable as a person in your life. And so you don't necessarily need to cultivate those relationships. Um, and we can sort of let the market determine, quote unquote, um, you know, where those people end up. Yeah, I think the beauty of this all in in general is like there's so much opportunity out there. There's so many people out there, et cetera, that can be helpful. And for whatever variety of reasons, and I know Sahil's faced this, I've faced this, you know, you make reaches or you make asks to different sorts of people. And, you know, some people that you totally would have expected would have wanted to collaborate or would be open to finding time or, or et cetera, for whatever reason, turn you down. Uh, and that might have nothing to do with you. It might have everything to do with you. It might have to do with the time and place in their life, et cetera. And then there's other people that you would say, hey, I'm shooting my shot and there's no way that this person is going to respond to me. Uh, and they end up spending hours with you, right? And and are open to ongoing conversation and really building a relationship. I, I think the core tenant at the end of the day is um, nobody remembers. I think too many people get caught up with... Um, the relationship between the numerator and the denominator. And what I mean by that is I reached out to a hundred people and two people responded. Oh man, that means 98 people didn't respond. I think that's completely the wrong way to look at it. All that matters at the end of the day is two people actually responded to you and engaged with you, right? The numerator is really pretty much all that matters in life. The denominator really doesn't. Uh, I think the denominator is a function of how hard you work and, and how how willing you are to put yourself out there. And and the reality also is I think if you expand that denominator pretty pretty widely or pretty deeply, your numerator by definition is is gonna go up, right? Um, and so I think at the end of the day, it's like the success metric here is not, you know, did it take me 500 people to reach out to to get to 10 interesting people? It's, it's just ultimately at the end of the day, if you got 10 interesting people that are in your corner, um, that's amazing. That's that's awesome, right? And and you don't also have to, you know, have that level of formality exactly as Sahil was saying either. Um, there can be different varying levels of, you know, spectrum that different people can bring to the table. You can have your board of advisors where someone is a maybe once a year phone call and it's really you updating them, et cetera, and, and maybe they respond, maybe they don't. 
And there, there might be people on your personal board of advisors you're talking to every week or every two weeks, right? In informal ways, right? Um, and so I think, it's, I think it's important to actually, when you hear these concepts, at least this has been my experience, when you hear these concepts or constructs, I think you take the general concept, but I think the tactics and the details and the specifics, you stay very, very loose with, right? Because I think if you actually try to stay too rigid with the details or the tactics, you can kind of get obsessed in, in solving the wrong problem, which is, you know, how many people do I have? How much am I engaging with them? What's the frequency at which I'm engaging with them? I don't think those are the right questions um, because as we all know, you know, one interaction or one experience uh, can be way more meaningful than 10 interactions or or 10 experiences. So I think the key that you really want to think through is, you know, let me not worry about the relationship between numerator and denominator. Let me just make sure that that numerator comes to fruition. And then most importantly, as I'm engaging with that numerator, let me make sure that each of those interactions are meaningful, right? And and if you do that, I think, you know, you're set. You're going to go on the right. I love that. And a brilliant way to end the conversation. So thank you, Ramin, for joining. Thanks, everyone, for your questions. This was wonderful. Uh, appreciate everyone, as always, and look forward to continuing the discussion next week. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thanks, Ayo. Thanks, everyone.